0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. Our content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning and I invite you to take your scriptures and turn to the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 20. We're going to look at that amongst other places we will go this morning. But Acts, Acts chapter twenty is where we're going to going to begin. And uh, as we get there, we're going to show our picture from last week. Is Marshall here? Marshall, are you here? Hi, Marshall. Hey, you made it on the on the screen today. So, Marshall drew this last week, and I had to get some help from Mom. So, Mom helped me out a little bit with this. But Marshall drew. Um, my interpretation would be bad, but that's. See, that's me. You didn't that's me with the face, with the smiles there at the pulpit. He's got the microphones, the flag is on the right side, and the stairs on the bottom there. So, Marshall, thank you for doing that. You observed what's going on here. I'm glad you're part of our service. All right. Well, before we get into um, Acts 20, because I'm gonna start in verse 25 of this chapter, and I feel like we're just it's like jumping in a stream where it's been going so uh, just to give a little background because of where we're starting in this passage we we find paul in a place here where he's writing this called miletus and it's somewhat probably close to about 40 miles south of ephesus so wherever that is right it's over over in uh, modern day turkey right now but but where ephesus was about 40 miles to the south you kind of there's some mountains in between you take a route he's meeting in Miletus uh, with the elders from the church in Ephesus. So he's about 40 miles away from the actual church. I think he's kind of trying to stay out of the big populous area. But he's just meeting with his elders of this church in Ephesus. He's on his way. He's led by the Spirit. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He doesn't know what, but I think has a sense not, uh, good things are not going to be there once he arrives in Jerusalem. But that's where he's heading. And so he's meeting with these elders in this place. We really get an inside scoop in what we're going to read in Acts 20 of what what took place in this meeting. These are, in a sense, Paul's parting words to these leaders before he uh, departs, and looking at and wanting to pass on his instructions. So we want to listen to these instructions, kind of the last words of somebody leaving a place. And hear what he has to say. So let's look. We pick up in verse 25 as he's speaking to these elders from Ephesus. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said "It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him him to the ship. Let's pray again together. Father, in hearing these words, we want to hear your word to us. So, Father, we look forward to seeing more of your word as we study it here this morning. Lord, would you bless and guide and by your spirit oversee and direct and empower Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds is prayed to understand and to embrace, Lord, leadership in your church. And our role under that leadership. Father, we just pray your hand be over our time together. We're asking for your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are on this section of If you want to look, if you have a constitution with you as we're going through this, we're in this section, uh, Article Nine. It's on page eight. If you uh, have that with you, there are a few more in the back. If you don't have one with you today, you can pick one up on your way, on your way out. We're on uh, page eight and under Article Nine. It's called Officers and Other Positions. And if you're visiting with us, uh, we've been going through, we're on already on Article 9, we have a few more to go as we prepare to look at this proposed constitution and vote in it later on in January of next year. Um, I will just read the first paragraph, um, and that's what we're going to be looking today, leadership here, specifically really the elder and deacon position in our church. So let me read this uh, first here. It says, the biblical offices in the church are elders and deacons. In addition, our church, under this constitution, recognizes other administrative positions such as treasurer, secretary, Sunday school superintendent, etc. All officers must be members of this church prior to assuming their responsibilities. I want to look first at this role, and if you have a bulletin, you kind of see where I'm going here. First, this role of elder, but then. Rather than just beginning and reading through the Constitution, reading through all that, I want to take us back to this passage in Acts that we've read. Then we're going to head to 1 Timothy 3, a very common passage when we think about eldership. And then we want to read through and look at what we've proposed and then look at uh, uh, the office of deacon as well. We will have time to do all that. That seems like a lot. It is a big task. Uh, We're going to lots of places so follow along. I'll try not to rush through it, but we want to see and look at God's plan for leadership in the church. So as we just go and we're so we're already starting to think about elders. We're back in Acts chapter twenty, heading back to verse twenty-eight here. This follows again Paul's parting instructions to these elders here at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. And Paul he's faithfully shared the gospel with the church. Uh, And now these words here, they just give a great glimpse of God's desire for his leaders, his elders in the church that will remain, and then the flock that are under their care. And I think this is a really helpful place as we think about the duties of an elder. What is an elder to do? I think this pictures it very, very well, and it's very helpful for us as we think through it. So look at verse 28 again. Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul tells them two things here, just right off the bat. And any leader, and, and we're, we're in the context of elder, but any leader, husband, father at home, even a mother would do well to hear this instruction as well, in our, even in our leadership, to put this into practice is these first two things. Pay attention to two things. One, pay attention to yourself yourself. And two, to all the flock, to those under your care. Why to ourselves? Why pay attention to, to ourself? Because I think this is at the heart of a man, in this case, an elder of integrity. Yes, he's to lead others, to direct others, but if his own house and even more deeper, his own soul is not in order, how can he effectively lead others? Paul says to Timothy in another place, uh, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. carries that similar idea. Watch yourself. And then they're not only to watch themselves, but also the flock. Paul's using this sheep-shepherd language here uh, through this. We hear it again. Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter 5 as he talks about them caring for the, the flock or shepherding the flock. Speaking of church leadership. But notice here something interesting. So pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. And then it says, Paul says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Or it could say He's appointed you as overseers. You see, God is at work even in the very leadership structure and the leadership of the church. It's not just a man-made uh, idea. It's Holy Spirit appointed. Perhaps it's easy for us to think we elect leaders we choose men but ultimately through this we're acknowledging no no god is behind us the holy spirit is behind this work and even the very leaders he has for the church well tied in then with paying careful attention to self and to the flock is the purpose of the elders who are kind of the last part of that verse they're to care for the church of god you could put in there if you had the words to care. You put in there to shepherd, or maybe even pastor, <laughs> the church of God. It's to shepherd the church, and again, it's a church he's obtained with the blood of Jesus. Elders are to care for a purchased people, a bought back. It's not just a random group. It's it's a people purchased by the blood of Christ. And so again, we see this this shepherd sheep type of language here. Um, I assume some of you, I don't know how many, have more experience caring for sheep than I do. I have virtually zero. Uh, other than I have a dad and a grandpa that were part of raising sheep in Kansas. So I wasn't part of that, but they did that. And so this week as I'm preparing, I think, oh, it's a good reason to call dad. Dad, call him up. Dad, tell me about raising sheep. And, and uh, but that... That got him going. He had a couple. I'm not going to share all the things that he shared, but there there are two. They're they're short, but two things he shared from what it's like to raise a flock of sheep that I want to share with you and tie it into this idea of eldership and caring for the flock. One is his own personal story of just, I don't know how old he was, I can't remember, but he would go out on a horse. That's cool. He gets to ride a horse. Did you know that, Madeline? Papa rode a horse. And uh, he goes out on a horse to check on the flock. And so there's the flock in the wheat field down there. And his job is just to make sure the sheep do not go out onto the road or go where they're not supposed to go. It's to watch them. It's pretty simple. That's an idea. He's on a horse. He's not going around, to, you know, he didn't say on the horse going around to eat sheep kind of kicking them, you still alive and doing it. there's it's some observing. It's a watching of the flock. Now the other one's similar, the one of he shares of seeing my grandpa his name was George as well. My grandpa leaning over the fence, kind of maybe in this fenced-in area where the sheep were. And my grandpa just looking at the sheep. What was he doing? He was just studying those sheep and just, just watching each one of you, each one of them. As I stand here and watch each one of you, it's a similar idea. The the parallel, and it's it's so neat how God uses sheep. What a great illustration. Uh, for us to understand, but even as your elders this job this to care for the flock you picture it maybe on a horse uh, keeping a sheep from a road no there's danger there's a road there we come along to say no, dear brother, dear sister in Christ watch out or there's there's that idea and this is not to make you feel awkward but that the shepherds the elders are to be watching you or to be observing saying this the sheep something's limping on that leg. I, I wonder what's going on there. We're going to gently come shepherd that. Or, this one looks a little sick. These two look like, man, they're not getting along in this pen. We, we need to come in. That's It's just a picture of the job of the elder caring for the flock. That gives you a picture of that. Well, Paul continues because uh, it continues and this, this work continues. In verse 29, I'll read through 31 again. He says, I know that after... Uh, my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So now we got shepherds, sheep, and wolf language. Verse thirty From among your own cells will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Fierce wolves will come in, and even men from within. So, be on guard. They're going to speak twisted things, crooked things, and there's a purpose to this speech, these twisted things. It's to draw away the disciples to them. These wolves and even men from within, they seek their own disciples. So followers of Christ, they draw them away to follow maybe their way. So what's the overseer, the shepherd, the elder to do it? I'm using those terms just interchangeably here. There too is verse 31 says there to be alert. Or another way to say it, stay awake. Paul reminds them of his own staying awake. He says, remember, three years I did not cease. Think of this, think of this role in this imitation. Three years I didn't cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And so there's this idea of staying awake, caring for this flock. He goes on to say in verse 32, "Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." Paul really commits these leaders to God and to the word of his grace. I think the word of the word of his grace is just another way of saying the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That that the leaders never lose sight of who's building the church. Jesus Christ is building His church and then to challenge His blood-bought people to live for their Master, to live for the Lord. So there's two facets just from this passage. We're not going to go further than that. On this role of elders, we think about it in our own church. Number one, to care for the flock which Jesus obtained with His blood. And number two, stay alert for danger from without and from within. That's our role We're to do that. We're to do it joyfully, uh, not begrudgingly, but joyfully. And all the while doing that, holding on to the word of the gospel and saying, putting forth Christ so that we guard doctrine and we guard the sheep that are here. It gives us an idea of the duties of an elder. Turn with me, though, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Just a little bit to the right. Thessalonians and then Timothy, and we come to First Timothy uh, Chapter three. As a shepherd cares for a sheep, we want we want to say, Well, what's a shepherd to look like? How do we evaluate what makes a good shepherd? And and we come to this passage in First Timothy three as a way of evaluating those desiring the office of an elder. 1 Timothy, it's really it's a pastoral letter of Paul to the younger Timothy. And guess where he was? He was in Ephesus. Uh, possibly written here after the events of Acts 20. So maybe that's when it was written. But we find instructions here for Timothy regarding the qualifications. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail other than I'm going to read through these. Then we'll talk a little bit about them here. So 1 Timothy 3. First we have elders and deacons. We'll get to that in a little bit. Just a couple things, one from verse 1. Timothy is to look for those that desire this office. Again, you don't find in the phrase, find somebody that says, well, if you can't find anybody, I'll do it. There, <laughs> that's not here. There's a, there is a desire for the office. And so maybe on initial questioning, they go, I never thought about that. But there's some sort of desire for this office. And it's a good work. It's a noble task. But let me just say that these various qualities I read over, they have much less to do with any job experience or what we might typically look for on a resume. They deal with a man's character both personally, you know, being sober-minded, uh, self-controlled, gentle, etc. They deal with his own family, managing his own household. Included, there's maturity in the faith. They're not a recent convert. And they're even to be well thought of by those outside the church. Literally, that he has a good testimony from those outside the church. So it's not even just those inside, it's those outside. So I think in reading through these, just to keep two things in mind as we think about um, not just the elder duties, but the qualifications of an elder. Two things. One is to take these seriously. This is what God is looking for in an elder slash overseer. I think any man who doesn't go through this list with an inward thought to his character, I believe we're not taking him seriously. So as I know there's three elders in the room and myself included. We're to look at this and take it seriously and say, am I I walking with the Lord in these ways? We're to look at it. This is what a good shepherd of the sheep ought to look like. But one other thing I want to mention, that there is only one Savior, Jesus Christ. Elders... They have this dual role. They're at one time leaders, but they're also sheep who wander and get caught up in the sin. They must depend on, just like every other sheep, depend on the grace of Christ while maturing in the faith. The SV Study Bible has this to say about um, uh, this section here. Yeah. And it says this. Here's the quote. The list of qualities is not intended to be exhaustive, but pictures a person of mature Christian character. And here's here's the line. One whose faith has had tangible impact on his behavior. The faith has resulted in behavior. It's not just they've come to faith. They're not a recent convert. But that faith has been lived out. Remember, faith without works is dead. Works do not save, but faith without works it's dead faith. They're, they're The two are together. I found this quote by Sam Rayburn. He says, You cannot be a leader and ask other people to follow you unless you know how to follow too. So elders are not perfect leaders. They are sheep following, prone to wander like everyone else. And yet we're held to a standard. We're accountable for the way we live our lives, to be qualified for that office. And we want to mature in Christ so with that said let me just uh, one to hear it and for the sake of just reading through it in case you're listening to this later um, to just read through our Constitution on the these the section of the elders here and I'll just kind of just read it straight through not really not much commentary here uh, to see what we're proposing in this office of eldership. So I'm starting about the second paragraph on page 8 under Article 9. Bethany Bible Church recognizes that God's order for the church is male eldership. This is not a matter of giftedness, ability, or worth, but the sovereign design of God. The elder board shall be comprised of men who satisfy the qualifications for the office of elder set forth in, and that's where we just were here in 1 Timothy, and then Titus 1, 6-9 as well the elders shall oversee the ministry and resources of the church in accordance with the word of God. In keeping with the principles set forth in Acts 6, 1-6, we will get there, uh, and 1 Peter 5, 1-4, the elders shall devote their time to prayer, the ministry of the word, by teaching and encouraging sound doctrine and shepherding God's flock. Members of the church should receive these men as gifts of Christ to his church. Ephesians 4, 7-13. Elders should see themselves as servants of the church, not lording it over those entrusted them, but by being examples. It comes from 1 Peter 5.3. The number of elders is not fixed, and all men who have been confirmed by the congregation may continue in office as long as they remain qualified, able, and willing to serve. An elder's term of office may be terminated by resignation or dismissal, Any two members with reason to believe that an elder should be dismissed must express such concern to the elders. It means we're not above anybody questioning. We're we're accountable. I'll continue. Any action shall be done in accordance with the instructions of Jesus in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. When we talk about church discipline, uh, I imagine we will look there. And also First Timothy five nineteen through 20. So there's more things in First Timothy, past chapter 3 here, dealing with the elders who rule well and, and how to bring charges. Uh, the line here, anonymous charges will not be considered. Going on. The elders shall take responsibility. Now listen, this is, this is what we're here to do. This is what we're proposing to do. How do we care for this flock? We shall take responsibility to examine and instruct prospective members to examine and recommend prospective candidates for office and other positions, to oversee the work of the deacons, administer the ordinances of believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper, equip the membership for the work of the ministry, encourage sound doctrine and practice, promote growth in Christ-like maturity, admonish and correct error, oversee the process of church discipline, and care for and provide counseling to church members. That's the task we're signing up for as your elders. The elders are also to ensure that all who minister the Word to the congregation share our fundamental convictions. It's part of wolf-sheep guarding. We're supposed to do that. The elders shall select a chairman who will moderate all meetings. And then the pastor shall be an elder. He will perform the duties of an elder described above and shall be recognized by the church as particularly gifted and called to the vocational ministry of preaching and teaching. He will have the responsibility of preaching and teaching in the church and performing other such duties as usually pertain to the office of pastor-teacher. In the absence or incapacity of the vocational pastor, the elder shall assume the ultimate responsibility for his duties any of which may be delegated to another qualified man. And I appreciate the elders that we have that have been willing when I'm I've been gone. I haven't had to call a guest speakers. We can have guests come in, that's great, and that's good. But your elders have been willing to teach and to take over for that. And I, I love that. Okay, the appointment of elders, the local church, with the guidance of Scripture, and dependent on here he, here he is, the Holy Spirit is responsible to appoint men to the office of elder. Each potential elder shall have a desire for the office. Nominations to the office of elder shall be made by the existing elders. However, members are encouraged to consider men whom they perceive to be qualified for the office of elder and communicate the names of each man to the elders. The elders, with prayerful and biblical objectivity, should consider each recommendation and determine who should be nominated. Candidates for eldership will be announced for at least two weeks prior to the meeting called for his confirmation. During this time, church members are encouraged to prayerfully consider each candidate's character and qualifications in light of what we've just read in, in the passage in Titus 1 as well. Bringing any biblical concerns to the attention of the elders. Anonymous charges will not be considered the candidate will be presented to the congregation to be recognized. I like that word, recognized. We see God's already at work in this individual. Recognized as one whom God has qualified for leadership. Barring legitimate biblical objections to the candidate's qualifications, the congregation will affirm what God has already done in the man's life by setting him apart for the leadership position. He will be confirmed and recognized at the annual business meeting or the meeting called for the purpose of elder confirmation. The confirmed nominee will be installed on the next Lord's Day or as soon as reasonable and shall assume duties from that point forward. Sum it all up. What's the purpose of an elder? Kind of put some of these things all together, maybe in one sentence. It's to oversee the ministry and resources of the church, devoting time to prayer, The ministry of the Word, shepherding God's flock. If you're still open to 1 Timothy 3, I'm just going to continue now. And look at the qualifications for uh, deacons. This will be perhaps a little shorter, but look at deacons. The, The Greek here is diakonous. You hear deacon even in, the, you hear that in the name. It's a name in the Greek meaning a servant or helper or minister. So we're going be thinking of that word. So look at the qualifications here in terms of First Timothy 3, 8 through 13. It says deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. I think there's a reason there. I think as we'll see as we go to Acts, some some handling of the money and the funds. You want somebody honest here? Verse 9, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Again, we're given here what a deacon must be. Dignified or of good character, respectable, not greedy for dishonest gain. They're they're to be tested or examined or, or you might say proved. Skipping even to verse 12, they're to manage their own house well. Again, very similar qualities to that of the elder. But perhaps biblically, as we read this, we look at, at these qualities of a deacon, we're left a little bit with well, what, what particularly distinguishes them from the elders. And that's where we're going to go to Acts chapter 6 and to help us. So we're looking at 1 Timothy 3. Here's the, here's the qualities. Here's what they're to look like. And we see quite similar to, uh, to an elder. They love Christ and they show him in their lives. But now turn with me. Go to Acts chapter 6. It's back past 20, down to Acts chapter 6, verse one. And I'm going to read verse one through six. And here we see kind of this institution of this group, uh, deacons. And so let me read one through six here as we look at this. It says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, that's important, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the disciples are increasing in number. Complaints arose as to this daily distribution. There's just too many people to serve. And so these elders, these apostles here, they divide and they they multiply. They find seven men of good repute. I'd say seven men that meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. And they, and they ask them to, you see it there at the end of verse 2, to serve tables. They ask them to deacon tables, to serve. It's not that the apostles and I think later elders didn't want to work we just don't want to do we don't want to mess with that kind of work but it's that the work of the word and the physical uh providing both they could not be done by them alone there was just it was growing so these servers and deacons they're appointed to this more in a way a physical type of ministry but i think if we just think deacons care just for the physical things of the church physical duties we miss it uh mark Dever puts it this way. He's got a little book uh, called "Understanding Church Leadership," and he says this of deacons. He says deacons might be concerned with physical things, kind of like this, the daily distribution, funds, money, sort of thing. But theirs is a spiritual ministry. Such spiritual minded wisdom enables them, enables them to oversee church resources in a manner, in a manner that serves the unity of the flock. So, yes, they're caring for some physical things, but spiritually they're grounded so that even as they care for physical things, they have a spiritual mindedness about them and it serves to help the unity of the flock. Now, Mark Dever, he goes on to point out three specific areas of ministry from this passage. I'll just say them in brief. Number one is they were to care for the physical needs of the church. The serving of tables, the the distribution of money, etc. There was a caring in the deacon of doing that. He points out two other things. Number two, they were to work for the unity of the body. Did you see that? He points out in Acts six that the physical neglect of the daily distribution of the widows, it was causing spiritual disunity in the body. You got the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Hey, we're not getting our fair share. What's going? On? There's disunity going. He says this, quote, The deacons were appointed to head off disunity in the church. That's more than just keeping the books straight and keeping lights on. There's more to, to this. It's a spiritual work. Physical, yes. Spiritual behind it. And then number three, we need to think of this. I think it's helpful. They were to So they were to care for the physical needs, work for the unity of the body, and then number three, support the ministry of the Word. It was to support the ministry of, of the word. What's that ministry? It's gospel going out. The physical needs, they were about to take away from the ministry of the word and prayer. By appointing deacons, the ministry of the word and prayer could continue on with devotion. Um, we all need others. There are. Uh, I was able to fix the back door this week. And I love that. It's okay to take a wrench and do something. that took me five, ten minutes or whatever. So it's no big deal. But if I do that all week long, I come here and I can tell you a lot about bolts and sizes of wrenches, but I, I can't deliver the word to you or the elders for that matter. And so there's this division. This is something we don't right now employ in our church. And that's why this Constitution coming through, I think, is helpful for us to divide. And that's really Really, divide for what purpose I think for multiplication look I didn't read verse seven, but look back at it here look at look, verse seven here in acts six, look what happens as they the apostles here as they delegate roles, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith again we're tied back to our purpose. As a church to delight, display, declare the glory of God, equip the saints for the spread of the gospel. And we do that as we share the duties. It's not all just the elders we're to oversee. It's not all the deacons either that oversee the work, maybe physically with spiritual uh, foundations to that. So let's read this portion in our Constitution. I'm on page 10 now. And let's just read in here. This on the deacons. I'll start with the beginning. The deacons shall be comprised of men who satisfy the qualifications for the office of deacon set forth in first Timothy three, eight through thirteen, where we read. The deacons shall serve as a help to God's people in general and to the elders in particular. The office of deacon is not a ruling office, but the deacons are to administer the ordinary business, financial, secular affairs, and benevolent concerns. That's kind of the giving helping people need, those concerns of the church. They shall advise and be ready to assist the elders in any service that supports and promotes the ministry of the word. That's what we've we've been looking at. The number of deacons shall be determined by the needs of the ministry as well as the call and qualifications of individual members. And all men who have been confirmed by the congregation may continue in office as long as they remain qualified, able, and willing to serve. A deacon's term of office may be terminated by resignation or dismissal. Any two members with reason to believe that a deacon should be dismissed must express such concern to the elders. Any actions shall be done, again, this is repeating kind of with the elders, done in accordance with the instructions of Jesus, Matthew 18, 1 Timothy 5. Anonymous charges will not be considered. The deacon's duties shall consist of but not be limited to such things as administering benevolent funds to the sick or needy, administering physical care and or assistance to the sick, elderly, needy, and widows, caring for and maintaining the church property and assisting the elders in administrating the ordinances. The deacons are not responsible to perform all duties personally, but may delegate duties and ensure they are carried out. They should encourage members of the church to provide such physical services and assistance as encouraging them to help with material and financial needs as they arise. The deacons shall select a chairman who will moderate all meetings as well as communicate to the elders deacon-related business and concerns. Uh, appointment of deacons. With the aid of the elders, the appointment of deacons shall be the same as that of the office of elder, giving attention to the qualifications set forth again in our passage, First Timothy 3. To put it succinctly, the purpose of a deacon to serve as a help to God's people in general and to the elders in particular. To serve, to deacon as a help to God's people in general, elders in particular. Now I'm going to just finish reading this section of Article 9. I'm not going to really talk about it, but I'm just going to finish it out and then I'll have some concluding thoughts. So let me just finish the bottom of page 10, Treasurer. The treasurer shall receive and ensure that all funds and securities of the church are properly secured in banks or financial institutions as appropriate. He or she shall be responsible for presenting reports of account balances, revenues, and expenses of the church at each regular business meeting. Now, calling of a pastor. In the calling of any man to the position of pastor, the same basic process of calling an elder must be followed. A suitable process of exposure and evaluation. "...by the church should be developed by the elders and at their discretion, whether through a specially convened search committee or other means deemed necessary. Therefore, being, uh, before being asked to express judgment on any candidate, the church must be given adequate opportunity to assess the preaching gifts of any potential pastor and must receive assurance from the elders that, having interviewed the man concerned, they are in no doubt as to his biblical qualifications." Once the elders have selected a candidate, evaluated and approved him according to the elder qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, he will be presented to the church as a candidate for the office of pastor. At the conclusion of said evaluation, a meeting will be called for the purpose of voting on the candidate. A two-thirds majority vote of members in attendance will be required for approval and appointment. The dismissal of the pastor shall follow the same guidelines as the dismissal of an elder. I like to think of us, all elders, as pastors, shepherds of his church. I'm one of them, and uh, you all graciously help to fund the ability to study and and care throughout the week in more of a full-time position, but that's really the position of all of us as elders. So since we currently have this ministry of elders, we don't have deacons yet in our church, but we have this ministry, I want to close with just a, kind of a recap on the roles and then encourage each one of us to be thankful. We have Thanksgiving coming up. Thankful for the plan of God in this. So just to recap, from our beginning, study Acts chapter 20. We came away with, with two things. One, for the elders. They're to pay attention. They're to stay awake and guard the flock. And number two, they're to shepherd and care for the flock. Peter calls on the elders to do this willingly and eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, to really serve the flock in leadership. What's the role, though, of the congregation in terms of this? It's to welcome the leadership and shepherding of the elders as uniquely tied to your own growth in Christ. Elders do not exist to be overbearing monarchs. But the goal is that you, dear saint, would be cared for in your faith in Christ, that you have a shepherd looking out for you and guarding the fences as well. It can be dangerous to be a sheep, can't it, for all of us. But we have a great shepherd who lives that we might live, the true shepherd of Jesus. If you don't know that true shepherd, Christ, not repented from sin, turn to Him, trusting in Him. That's the greatest shepherd you can know today. We've been singing about Him. It's been sharing about that grace is to know the true shepherd. So in one sense, all of us are under that shepherd. But then there is the local shepherds. And the flock of Christ is also to enjoy those, we could call them under shepherds, He has placed in His church. My question for you, are you willing to gladly come under that? authority that that elder on a horse coming along saying watch out there's a road here that elder looking over the fence saying I see this going on can you tell me about this and to welcome that as part of your growth in the Christian faith I want to read in closing here from Mark Dever talks about eldership here he says each elder is a gift of Christ to his church Of course, it is not always easy to view those in authority as a gift. Ever since the fall, authority has often been abused. And it is healthy to acknowledge as much. Power apart from God's purposes is always demonic. At the same time, it is not good to suspect all authority. If we are to live as God means us to live, we must be able to trust Him, that's God. And this includes trusting the ones made in His image whom he has placed in positions of authority. Everyone in the Bible, from Adam and Eve to the rogue rulers in the book of Revelation, show their evil fundamentally by denying God's authority and usurping it as their own. It is a great privilege to be served by godly leaders, and godly leadership is a gift. To reject authority, as so many in our day do, is short-sighted and self-destructive. A world without authority would be like desires with no restraints, a car with no controls, an intersection with no traffic lights, a game with no rules, a home with no parents, a world without God. It could go on for a little while, but before long it would seem pointless, then cruel and finally tragic. Despite our tendency to ignore it, godly and biblical leadership is crucial to building a church that glorifies God. Our exercise of leadership in the church relates to God's nature and character. When we exercise proper authority through the law, around the family table, in our jobs, in the scout troop, in our homes, and especially in the church, we help to display God's image to creation. This is the call on a church's leaders. What a privilege it is to lead and what a privilege it is to support their work. Let me pray for us. Father, again, we acknowledge that each one of us in in this room, from the pastor up front to the elders, uh, entrusted with the care of the flock to the flock itself, all of us are in need of the saving work of Christ and the work of His Spirit in our hearts that we might walk in ways that glorify You and honor You and that we might remember the Gospel and the grace that leads us time and again, back, back, and back to say, Lord, we need forgiveness and healing. Lord, guide your church here at Bethany. Guide the leadership. Guide us to lead with godliness and and care, loving care for the flock. Not to push sheep over, but to guide and guard and protect. And Lord, guide your sheep in this place, your flock, to come under willingly, That leadership and welcome it as part of their own growth. Father, would you do this work because we are prone to wander again? So, Lord, guide us to walk with you and amongst and in the gifts you've given our church. We pray in Jesus' name.